You telling me there was only one person in each car? That's right. And cut. That's good. Okay, the audition's over. It's goodbye. <laughs> good to meet you. Should good I go work. Don't take the stairs. We got an extra uh, long stairs, audition. Stairs. Thank you. Thanks. So I, I could see real well, possibilities with him. I think he could be a leading man. You do really? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think he's got a great face. I think he's got sexuality, charm. I think there's a lot of potential yeah. there. I really do. Definitely there's a lot but of I, I mean, as far as the leading man thing, it's just that this is. Guy, he's a little character. He's a, you're, you're I think right, he'll be the, the best friend. And, yeah. I think he'll be Denzel's pal. I don't think he'll be Denzel. I think they're pretty. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we are right and you are wrong. I'm Julio. And I'm Alex. Here on the show, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. For the first half of each episode, Contrarians Corner, we trash the fresh red tomatoes and praise the rotten green splotches, making our case any way we can. The aptly titled Real Talk serves as the second half of each episode. This is where we discuss our true feelings on the movie we're covering. For more information on our podcast and to browse past episodes, you can head over to our website, wearethecontrarians.com. From there, you can also access our patron and merchandise, because capitalism. If you enjoy our attempts at comedic film discussions, we encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review on whatever podcatcher you use. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, that's what social media is for. You can find us on most platforms as at Contrarian Prime. You can also see what we look like if you go to youtube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, and you can contact us by email at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. I think that covers it. Then it's time for the podcast. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Ricochet. Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my cohort and co-host, Julio. Julio, first time film viewing for both of us, uh, and we're here to discuss this evening the 1991 action thriller, the uh, action crime thriller film, as it's described in its Wikipedia page, American action crime thriller film, keep in mind, directed by Russell Mulcahy and written by our reoccurring contrarians guest Stephen E. DeSouza. We were just talking about him, too. We were. He uh, penned the Flintstones. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that. I mean, he's just at this point, we are one step away from just being the Stephen DeSouza show. And uh, he, before this, the film he penned was today's subject, Ricochet. And before that, you guessed it, Hudson Hawk. Uh <laughs> We've also covered Street Fighter in the past, which he not only penned, but directed. Um, and when we cross the threshold for uh, 30 patrons in our next project, we will be discussing The Running Man. So, I mean, he's just all over Contrarian's canon. What was that saying? You just throw a stone in Hollywood and you'll land a movie that Steven DeSouza wrote. It seems to be the case. Uh, we're here today to talk about Ricochet from 1991. Uh, as a patron demand, I believe, correct? That is correct. Eddie Strait decided to wield his power in a, in a very quizzical way. <laughs> I, I mean, granted, he's also the man who gave us uh, what's that James Franco movie uh, with the Camille, the zombie wife, Camille. I mean, Eddie was behind Camille, so that's in a way that tracks. This is kind of an offbeat. Offbeat way to start 2024, which, by the way, Alex, I just it just clicked. We started 2023 with the Bone Collector. Is that a thing we're doing now? Where Man. every year we open with a Denzel movie? That's already a year ago. My God. Well, Denzel, <laughs> all credit to him in the Bone Collector. I don't know if the sex appeal was as off the charts in that as it is in the Ricochet. He's got his shirt off for like half this movie, and he is cut. He is. I mean, the shirt off, and then the pants off, and then the pretty sure i saw one of his testicles at some point yeah full frontal denzel was not prepared for that i was i was expecting it from kevin pollack but not from denzel <laughs> now pollack gracefully seated the spotlight <laughs> this time to, to denzel he knew that denzel was was trying to do something groundbreaking after winning an oscar so it's like sure you can take this one 
All right, Julio, 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, a little bit lower than we typically shoot, but that's still a respectable score to land on the tomato meter. So for the purposes of Contrarian's Corner, we will be pointing out and taking to task the absurdity of this film. And if you want to know how Julio and I really feel about it, just stick around for Contrarian's Corner because there's much to discuss. Uh, Julio, 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, which means nearly three-fourths of uh, the registered reviews that comprise the tomato meter were favorable. So what were they saying about it? I think it's worth pointing out that this is one of those movies where it's not like the the reviews were plentiful and neither were the quotes. I don't think that critics and audiences overall share the enthusiasm that uh, Eddie Strait uh, has for Ricochet. I think it's like 20 reviews around tomatoes. There you go. It did get reviewed by Variety, though. Variety staff from Variety says, A taut, twisty urban suspenser powered by the spring-loaded performance of Denzel Washington in his first major action role. Ricochet has a nasty streak and a tendency toward implausible excess. It is worth calling out that Denzel was already an Academy Award winner when this movie, when he took this role. Made many fun, dumb action movies. That that kind of became his calling. I think no more nowadays people wouldn't know that he was like a highly respected actor. But uh, <laughs> who's someone that just does dumb, like melodramatic bullshit? Uh, Timothy Chalamet. If he made like a big dumb action movie tomorrow, people would be like, "Why is he doing this?" Fair enough, but he's young, so you know. <laughs> and as has been called out by myself several times, I think he has potential. Yeah. He is a new Wonka, after all. Oh, God. <laughs> all right. Well, back to when all movies right. are, were good. What, what what else were people saying about uh I just want to throw Ricochet. this out, though. For listeners everywhere, glory, action movie or not, let us know. Next, Rita Kempley from the Washington Post says, as with other Silversmith projects, this one is almost frighteningly competent at bashing heads and pushing all the right buttons. Uh, I think she's referencing Joel Silver, the producer. Unless she's talking about Long John Silver, maybe. Uh, bashing heads and pushing all the right buttons. I mean, it, it, There's certainly a lot of buttons pushed in this movie. Maybe not as many as our in our previous movie, Drop Dead Gorgeous. But still, there's some provocation in this movie. I think they're referring to Joel Silver, the producer who had uh, his name attached to, man, yeah, Commando, Lethal Weapon, Predator. Die Hard, Roadhouse, Lethal Weapon 2, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Whereas if you want to go back to when movies were good, you still have to bring up movies like Adventures of Ford Fairlane, where a stand-up comedian gets so popular they just have to give them a movie. Uh, In that case, Andrew Dice Clay. Was the last time they did that with Dane Cook and then he tried to be a real actor? Literally about to say, and then Dane Cook had to ruin it for everybody else. Uh, Fucking idiot. Predator 2, Hudson Hawk, Ricochet, and then following this, uh, Brandon Curtis' favorite, The Last Boy Scout. The list goes on, but this guy, uh, and into the end of the 90s and the 2000s, you know, he was on The Matrix, Matrix Reloaded Revolutions, uh, Swordfish, Exit Wounds, V for Vendetta. At this point, I'm just looking for movies from Contrarian's history. Fred Claus. Hey, pushing buttons, bashing heads. And then he did, uh, or he was a producer on a really, really bad Denzel movie in 2010 called The Book of Eli. You're you're in such a minority with that take, Alex. That movie sucks. Uh, <laughs> and to bring it full circle, he also the most recent producing credit he had is he's on the <laughs> the Jake Gyllenhaal Roadhouse directed by Doug Lehman that couldn't get any theatrical release. It's just going to go straight to Amazon Prime because it's supposed to be pretty bad. I mean, Conor McGregor's in it, so it's a, a dangerous enough movie as it is. Hey, I want to see Conor McGregor fight Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I don't think he does, but... Oh, well, yeah. what's the fucking point then? So Conor could get money for Coke? Oh, there you go. Uh, all right, next. Kim Newman from Empire Magazine says, Dynamite action. This is a good bet for a night with the lads. And weedy girlies can at least wake up every 10 minutes when Denz takes his top off. She didn't even say Denzel. Just call him Denz. It must um, be uh, on a nickname basis or, you know, really close. Every 10 minutes. I mean, I wouldn't say, uh, it's more like every 20 minutes <laughs> that Denzel exposes himself. And then there's a good stretch of like 20 minutes maybe where he's just half naked all the time. But do you, do you think that that's, that would be the only reason why women would go see this movie? 
you know, women can like action movies too. It's a kind of antiquated uh, position to have. <laughs> this is kind of a a bit of an insulting take from Kim Newman. Yeah. I mean, it was the 90s, but still. And we're going to close with Nick Rogers from Midwest Film Journal, who says, As more of a nasty psychological thriller, it could conceivably be an art house release for silver pictures. In the absence of big set pieces, it evolves into an unexpectedly incisive satire on America's cycles of triumph and teardowns for famous faces. That's a review we could have used during our Lohan series that we did. <laughs> Nick Rogers has a way with words. Art house release, though. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah, that's a bit far. In what universe is Ricochet an art house release? Uh, you know what? You could say today, if these superhero movies can be nominated for Best Picture, then why not Ricochet? <laughs> Kevin uh, Pollack for Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> they skipped him over for A Few Good Men, but they will give it to him for Ricochet. There you go. All right. Well, those are all the quotes, Alex. This movie is is perplexingly fresh on the tomato meter. So let's go to Contrarian's Corner and tear it down. He was a psychotic killer out of control. Until a rookie cop. Don't even try it. Don't even think about it. Put him behind bars. Seven years later, Earl Talbot Blake is out for revenge i got things to live for all right just to clear it up one last time in case anyone's still hanging on this is not a podcast about uh trevor mann who currently wrestles in the world wrestling federation is ricochet uh so <laughs> if you're looking for any talk on ricochet and his time in chikara or evolve uh nxt pro wrestling gorilla catch me on twitter we can do a back and forth then but this is about ricochet the 1991 film again directed by russell mulcahy written by stephen e de souza as i mentioned uh produced by joel silver of silver pictures at that time distributed by warner brothers uh released on october 4th of 1991 Box office return of $21 million. I hadn't been able to find anything in regards to a budget at uh, at this point, but you have to imagine it's at least around there because especially the closing sequence, there are some heavy explosions and big, grandiose set pieces. Uh, but Julio... They blow up a building. They do. So what you do, well, you know what else to do with your movie. <laughs> Fuck it. Blow something <laughs> up. How background blind did you go into this? Uh, absolutely background blind. All I knew was that uh, Eddie likes it, and I knew also that <laughs> our friend and, and official Contrarian's video editor, Corey, loves it. We mentioned it during the Drop the Gorgeous warm-up, and he just put his opinion on the video, saying, I love this movie. <laughs> so so there's two people that uh, might be deeply disappointed if we get to real talk and, and we don't like Ricochet. So that's all I knew, really. Going in, and then, you know, I knew Denzel and John Lithgow. I had no idea that this movie also that this movie takes place in the Die Hard universe. I found that out, you know, much later after I was done. Did you How, know, or did you find out uh, after after the fact? What are you referring to? Okay, I I, I love that I get to tell you about this in okay. real time. <laughs> the reporter, played by Mary Ellen Trainer, does she look familiar? Does she look familiar to you? She looked familiar, yeah, but I just thought she was kind of just a actor of the time she plays the exact same character in die hard also written by steven d souza good lord and you know this is <laughs> this is 91 so tarantino saw this and he was like all right bet <laughs> i i know how to do this too i did not know that that's fucking incredible i thought she looked familiar so when the movie was over i looked up her imdb and there she is, the credited with Die Hard and Ricochet with the same name. And then I, I looked into it and it's like, oh, yeah, she's playing the same character. I don't know what the chronology is like. I don't know if uh, this happens before Die Hard, after Die Hard. It would be amazing if it was the same week as Die Hard. Oh, so. man. It's like in another part of town. Uh, yeah. Well, no, because Die Hard is Christmas. So we don't see any Christmas around here. Yeah, good call. It looks more like fall because they got like their overcoats on and shit. Uh, obviously, Tarantino saw this and then wrote Reservoir Dogs. He's like, I don't even know who Vincent Vega is going to be, but I know I'm going to use him here and then again at some point. <laughs> so this movie starts in 83, but then it wraps up in maybe like 1990, 91, somewhere. Maybe it ends contemporaneously, which would be 
two or three years after the events of Die Hard. So maybe that's why the reporter doesn't seem as shocked by some of this stuff as she should have, because she's already lived through John McClane. We figured she, it out. That's why she's not she's not starstruck by Denzel performing all these uh, action hero feats, because she saw John McClane jump off the top of Nakatomi building. <laughs> We do get some really sleek opening credits. Uh, I was disappointed it wasn't and iced tea, but as with all the promotional material for this, it went Denzel, Lithgow, tea. Like it was, you know, <laughs> the poster, everything had all three of them on there. Uh, what and- a fucking slap in the face for Kevin Pollock. <laughs> Fourth billing after iced tea. Well, that, that's where he got his chip on his shoulder, and he's like, all right, I'm going to dance circles around all these fuckers in this movie. Watch, <laughs> watch me. <laughs> Uh, we do get a hilariously long-haired Ice T, like you know, just perfect hair playing uh, basketball. My my one of my first notes just says "Ball and Pollock." Like I did not expect this movie to start with <laughs> Kevin Pollock shooting hoops, but I popped huge for that. Along with young Denzel, he is young in this, and Denzel is one of those. I wouldn't even call him like a favorite actor of mine, but I've seen so many things that he's in. Just because I guess we're cinephiles, Julio, he's a very ubiquitous actor. Uh, mm-hmm. Did it take you a second to get used to how young and just kind of svelte he is in this? Uh, Considering the last time we saw him for anything contrarian related was a Shakespeare adaptation, yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, and this is an R-rated movie in in all the ways that matter, I guess. Uh, and by that I mean that there's cursing, there's nudity, and there's uh, hardcore violence. So hardcore uh, yeah, pornography. It, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was. Uh, it took some some getting used to, but also because it is for all the joking with it in the in the intro, it is still respectable actor Denzel Washington. And from the very beginning, you can just tell he is so above this material. And I didn't even know that he already won the Oscar uh, when you know when I watched the movie. So my thought was like, oh, well, this is Denzel like paying his dues, working himself up to. His his Oscar for glory. Uh, no, he was already above this by the time that it happened. Unless he happened to shoot it before glory and then they release it after. That's the only way that I can make sense of it. In 1983, rookie L.A. police officer and law student Nick Stiles, this is Denzel, meets Alice, uh, his girlfriend, eventually wife, Victoria Dillard. Uh, very Your foot w- fetish. Wow. <laughs> one-dimensional female character in a 90s action (laughs) film, if you can believe it, Uh, and drifts away from childhood friend Odessa. This is Ice-T. Odessa has become a drug dealer in South Central. Styles and his partner Larry Doyle, this is Kevin Pollack, patrol a carnival where they encounter hitman Earl Talbot Blake. And this is our bad guy, John Lithgow, and his accomplice, Kim, played by Josh Evans. Am I supposed to know Josh Evans from anything else? Uh, You will know him by the end of this year, of 2024, as... Probably the winner of the Huey for War Supporting Actor. <laughs> I was really thinking for a second you're about to drop some like, you know, PTA's next project on me or something. <laughs> um, all right. So they did not get enough out of this. They should have just stayed in 1983 slash 84 because we learned that the Olympics are coming to uh, Los Angeles. So the city's preparing for that. And I feel like, God, we could have gotten some fun around like chase scenes. Denzel mistakenly. uh being confused as a, as an Olympian, he's like chasing Lithgow, and <laughs> yeah, like the chase scenes could lead to the Los Angeles uh, Coliseum. What's it? The Sports Coliseum? I forget what it's called. But and you know they actually end up on the field, and he chases them, and then John Lithgow gets killed by like a javelin, a rogue javelin that flies. <laughs> just imagine the quips Steven DeSouza could have just had a field day writing one-liners, all centered around the Olympics. All right, Julio, be honest with me. Do you know what episode Kevin Pollack was referring to of Star Trek when he and Denzel have a discussion about it? I don't think that there's only one where Kirk has to enrage Spock. To, I mean, he could have been talking about the the just reboot from 2009. Damn it. You beat me to my joke. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it was such a, you know, if they really wanted to to pander to Star Trek fans, they should have gone with something a little more specific, right? They should have referenced Captain Pike or whatever. This is just an excuse so that Kevin Pollock can just trot out his uh, yep. Shatner impression. That was my next question. Was this only, do you think this was kind of encouraged by Kevin Pollock or suggested to do so he could drop his impression? 
<laughs> they're like, okay, wh- what can you do? What can you do to liven up this this scene? And he's like, well, I, c- I can do an okay Shatner. All right, go. <laughs> and that's Bring. the thing. It's just okay. It wasn't great. Yeah, but it should be great. <laughs> he's he's walking next to Denzel Washington. <laughs> he needs to up his game. This this is why Kevin Pollock, as much as we love him, he's just the perennial best friend. He's a sidekick. He he doesn't get like top billing anywhere. This is why he's built after I see. <laughs> they gave him the chance to shine, and he came up with a half baked Shatner impression. You should have seen it last night. He's got to enrage Spock to snap him out of this emotional thing. So he says, "You're a freak, Spock. A freak. You belong in a circus, right? Next, the dark faced boy." <laughs> <laughs> well, you did that pretty good. Yeah. Do you think Kevin Pollock uh, auditioned for the for the Blake role? And they're like, uh, you know, you give us more of a vibe of. Uh, Denzel's best friend. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, Russell Mulcahy owed someone a favor and was like, mm, well, you know. <laughs> the They couldn't get the glass eye fitted right for Kevin Pollock. <laughs> that was the one thing that, that, that was what lost him the role. He was about to be cast and it turns out that he just can't stand having anything in his eye. Couldn't rock the contact. That had to be like a Grinch style contact that covers the entire eyeball. It's pretty freaky. John Lithgow doesn't fuck around. No, he He's doesn't. Like, and he gets a <laughs> massive reveal shot. He like comes out of the shadows and into the light. And his hair looks really weird in the first scene where he's introduced, and it doesn't the rest of the movie. So I was really curious what was going on, because his hair is like red when we first see him. And maybe it was just bad lighting or something, but because so I was this, was this a thing in, in like the nineties and eighties, I guess. It was like we'll just John Lithgow will play a psychopath. That was just the thing to do with John Lithgow back in the day before we discovered that he can also play a cuddly old man. An alien. <laughs> An alien. I am glad he eventually settled in to a more like stately role. And now he just shows up for five minutes in the Marty Scorsese movie. And it's like, all right, that's John Lithgow. But Harry and the Hendersons was before <laughs> this. And so I'm curious, like, if it just wasn't fun for him. He's like, I don't want to do this family <laughs> bullshit. Let me be bad. Give me something really bad. Like, you know when I had a good time? Blowout. <laughs> Let's do that again. He's more evil in this. He, well, he's more conniving. I mean, he's kind of like flat out, just very unadulterated evil and blowout in this, man. He's a vicious, conniving fucker. I think it helps him that he is not subject to... The, the the forces of logic in this movie. Blow tries to be a somewhat sensible story set in our reality, whereas this movie not so much. So, so John Lithgow can go anywhere with his villain. The movie will just follow him. Styles is forced into an armed standoff when Blake takes a hostage after killing several drug dealers. After stripping his equipment and uniform off, Styles uses a gun hidden in his athletic supporter a.k.a. jockstrap, shooting Blake in the knee and subduing him. Man, he blows his kneecap off. The incident is caught on camera by an amateur videographer and televised. It's really just a dad who got a new video camera and is just fucking around with it. It's not the Zapruder film or anything like that. (laughs) This makes Styles a hero. He and Doyle are promoted to detective, while Blake and Kim are sent to prison. He goes viral for pulling a tiny gun out of his asshole. And, like, shooting it. Like he does like an around the way type thing. He doesn't just pull it and shoot it. He shoots it like, you know, around his back. It's pretty intricate. Is he really a superstar cop or is he a terrible cop that got lucky? I think a little of column A, a little of column B. <laughs> he really he really risked the hostage's life with that stunt. Being fair, though, it's not like that hostage was uh, overwhelmingly intelligent just running into the arms of John Lithgow. <laughs> she was coming out of the bathroom. She couldn't hear, like, the commotion? <laughs> well, I mean, it was a fair. It's always a commotion going on. Now, the, the next question is, was it necessary for him to strip Denzel? I mean, we talk about this constantly when dealing with men that are as good-looking as Denzel. If I looked like him, specifically in this movie, I would just find an excuse to do so. Every arrest. Yes. He's like, look, I'm just going to show you. I'm not wearing a wire. <laughs> like Dwight, where he just drops his pants and lifts his shirt up. Uh, in that episode of The Office. I would do that <laughs> for any reason if I looked like Denzel in this movie. Kevin Pollock just standing next to him. He's doing like, it again. Why you got to do that, man? <laughs> the next scene, too, he's completely buck naked and, uh, you know, just showing off his bod. I don't even know if that was in the script. If he was just like, yeah, this is going to happen today. Everybody else is wearing clothes. It's true. 
Eight years later, it's 1991, Styles has become the assistant district attorney and is married to Alice, and they have two daughters. Behind bars, Blake allies himself with the Aryan Brotherhood to plot an escape and take revenge against Styles. It's important to call out at this point. There's a councilman that Denzel is working closely with. Ferris, I believe his name is. Mm-hmm. They're raising money for a youth center. And uh, it's played by John Cothran, who played the Myrtle Beach Merman's coach in the third season of Eastbound and Down. There's a re- really great scene where he tells Kenny, I hate you, motherfucker. Or something like that. It's It's tremendous. All right. Well, then now I'll call out that before this time jump, we get one of uh, those Steven Dessert's classic lines uh, when somebody says that they would like to put someone else's quotation marks tit in the ringer. Close quotation marks. <laughs> I forgot about that. The guy who says that I thought was going to have a bigger part in the movie because he's just so angry at Denzel for showing off. But no, nope, he's, he's gone. Just, he's just there to say tit in a ringer and then to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. That was it. The, the rest of his dialogue was just too much, even for the R-rated version of this movie. So they just cut it from floor. To give you a, a really good insight into what point in time it was, we have a parody of cops that Pollock and uh, Denzel are on <laughs> called Busted. Said so Busted will be back after this commercial break, then followed by The Love Boat. I thought that was tremendous. But uh, in in prison, Blake is, you know, he's he's a bad boy and he has to get put in with someone equally as bad because he keeps terrorizing his cellmates and lo and behold, the future governor of Minnesota himself <laughs> Jesse the body Ventura I like yelled when he turns around and hey I know you (laughs) you're the dude who got busted on America's funniest home video was tremendous and Jesse you know he's got the skullet going he's got that big tattoo on his forehead in this and just hey (laughs) Uh, he has something else too Alex on his cell yes he has pictures of uh, bodybuilders and I guess some books and magazines about bodybuilders and this was 91, so I was trying to think of any WF tie-in, but I know that was part of the the contemptuous relationship that, uh, and at times, volatile relationship that Jesse had with Vince McMahon was that he did film projects like this. And like, um, remember we talked about Princess Bride, and how that was kind of Andre doing his own thing, and because that Vince was like, go fuck yourself, that's Jesse way more so, because Jesse was smarter than Vince. He's still to this day. And that's why he was able to get money for things that other guys didn't because he actually pressed them on it. But, you know, working on movies and getting more experience in other industries, that's when it was several years before this, but that's why Jesse tried to, we were going to unionize and then Hulk Hogan ratted me out. And so (laughs) it shouldn't be surprising that in 1991, there weren't any advertisements for uh, Ricochet on WF Broadcasting. Alex, I thought, because this is when I was doing the, Going my going on my small deep dive, I guess my superficial dive on the Die Hard Reporter, I came across this and was like, okay, I missed it, but I'm sure Alex noticed if it's true, which it has to be true because it's on the internet. Uh, it says, when John Lithgow enters the prison cell with Jesse Ventura, the picture on the wall is of Vincent McMahon, president of the WWE, whom Ventura worked side by side with for years as a ringside commentator. Is now- that a picture of Vince McMahon? <laughs> No, no, uh, that, you know, there's some things on, uh, I found that same thing on IMDb and I had to go back and rewatch the scene. There's a dude in like a gold's gym shirt that like, I guess if you had only ever seen Vince McMahon (laughs) once in your life could confuse for Vince McMahon. But (laughs) the only thing is maybe there's like a a picture in the background that's not in focus, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't even think that either. Um, so no, I, it's hilarious you bring that up with the IMDb trivia that, you know, I always say, too, my research is based off things that I don't have confirmed sources. But well, that's why I was I was I was using you as my confirmed source. <laughs> well, I love that. and I respect it. I just I caught this interview with Patton Oswalt the other day where his IMDb trivia section says his favorite movie is Six Pack. It's this movie from the early 80s with Kenny Rogers. And he was laughing about like how he's pretty sure that's something a troll put up there, but he thinks it's so funny that he's never going to change it or deny it. He said, like, (laughs) he's like, I've never even seen that movie. Uh, And he says it's his marker of like, when someone asks him about it, it means they did just like the base level research for questions. (laughs) Um, That's hilarious. Okay. 
grave with two white men in this prison have a grudge. They sound like true Aryan warriors, one on one and hand to hand. Come on, think you're too good for us, Blake, but we're giving that chance. Now grab your weapons. May the best Aryan win. Anyway, Blake here. After meeting Jesse, they decide to have a sword fight in prison. And <laughs> this is to like settle their differences. And this is how he gets in with the Aryan Brotherhood. They tape phone books to each other, which I understand is like a legitimate thing in prison. Um, if really? You're in, Gladiator fights? Not, I'm sorry, not exactly like this. So they're doing the fucking. It's. But I have read. That sometimes if you're in fear of getting stabbed or something in prison, guys will tape phone books under their shirts or, you know, what have you. There's that office where newspapers, newspapers with Denzel Washington's face (laughs) getting stabbed (laughs) through their body. Yeah, I was mad. Jesse didn't like, ah, like he didn't really sell it. He was just, oh, and then dead. (laughs) But this is how he gets in with the Aryan Brotherhood. And they, as I mentioned, plot their escape. Blake and the Brotherhood members stage a violent violent and deadly prison escape during a parole hearing, which only Blake and the Brotherhood leaders survive. Afterwards, Blake murders the gang leader and burns his corpse. However, while in prison, he had swapped their dental records in order to fake his own death and ensure the authorities would believe that Blake had died in the fire. Yes, this uh, parole scene is quite shocking with the level of violence. There's a little minigun a bullet through the head and then um a construction worker takes like a disc saw and chops up this police officer that's there it's uh, pretty crazy shit also john lithgow orders people to take their clothes off which just sent a chill down my spine it's pretty intense this is my, my problem with the lithgow thing i think that he can do creepy i don't think that he can do physically imposing and it really comes to life because no, he's when, always uh, looked like a grandpa exactly <laughs> You can tape all the phone books you want to his entire body. I still don't buy him as a as somebody that would beat Jesse Ventura. <laughs> like when Denzel kicks his ass at the beginning of the movie, I'm like, got it. You know, that's that's how you do it. Once he doesn't have a gun, he's done. Uh, but then here to believe that he survives, that he beats one of the champions of the Aryan Brotherhood in prison, and that th- that then they respect him as this force to be reckoned with, I just don't get it. You know, I, he has to be the guy that's just pulling the strings, like the mastermind. But he's not somebody that has a, a physical presence to where I believe that he would be a threat. Not that way. Styles finds Odessa. We should also call out that Denzel at this point has a pretty sweet mustache. He got the Philadelphia mustache, and then we see him in a courtroom, and I thought maybe there's a tie-in. The early days of the the lawyer that he becomes in in Philadelphia, which honestly, I mean that that would track in the sense that he's pretty green here. He he does the Jerry Maguire, and I, I know that we just did that movie, so that's why it was fresh in my mind. But he's delivering his closing statement, and he's being all serious and you know going on about like yeah we're all tired whatever, and then he basically goes he flips out like Jerry. <laughs> He does. I'm gonna flip out and he runs out the the courtroom. It was it was too silly. I, I he makes a, a spectacle of it for sure. And Sherman Howard, who plays public defender Kylie, who's on the other end of this, makes note of it, and he has a grudge with uh, Styles for from that point forward. Someday there's gonna be a tape of you <laughs> being ridden by a sex worker, and I will be there playing it. One day you're going to slip up and do a speedball, and I'll be there to get the drug test back. <laughs> so Styles finds Odessa, now a major drug dealer in the neighborhood, and pleads with him to cease dealing to children. Blake and Kim kill city councilman Ferris, who works with Styles, dressing his body in drag, planting child pornography in his briefcase, and staging his death to look like a suicide, framing Styles for embezzling city funds. Blake and Kim abduct Styles outside of his home and hold him hostage in an empty swimming pool for several days. They regularly inject Styles with heroin and cocaine while engaging in arm wrestling. Blake hires a <laughs> prostitute. Blake hires a prostitute, uh, not Jessica Chastain, and I know the immediate. It's not Bryce Dallas Howard either. Uh, it's <laughs> someone named Linda Donna to have sex with Styles, and he try he he objects and you know tries to he's just too weakened he can't do anything but fall into the trap that uh blake is set for him so do you think john lithgow and and his sidekick they went specifically looking for somebody that 
that had the clap? Was that part of the plan, or did they just was that just like a happy coincidence that they 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 happened to get a girl that was going to give Denzel Washington an STD? I think more likely than not that that was just kind of a beneficial consequence, like you know that they they it was a <laughs> what Sid say in uh, Toy Story double prizes. That's probably <laughs> <laughs> what John Lithgow was thinking. The clap is not really common vernacular anymore for any of our younger listeners, but that's gonorrhea. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I'm sure they're familiar with that word. Gonorrhea? <laughs> it's a pretty I'm common... I'm sure there's like... A, okay, what is... I couldn't tell you what the, the hip slang for gonorrhea is now. I don't think there is any. That's the... Oh, so it, it only had a cool nickname back in the 90s? Yeah. If you, you're STD shaming if you make up uh, some little hip name for it. Okay, well, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, we are not calling it The Clap. The movie is calling it The Clap. <laughs> In a really, really serious way, too, because, you know, that's uh, eventually when the – is it the mayor or the district attorney's like – The mayor. Yeah, the mayor. She's like, Nick, you have The Clap. It's The Clap. <laughs> and then his wife's like, you've got The Clap? It just sounds so stupid. It'd be a lot easier to say gonorrhea. <laughs> I know that woman gave it to me. I'm telling you, she gave it to me. Uh, Denzel as a high Denzel, drunk Denzel, whatever else is going on here. I- Brother, the last half of this movie is just the Denzel show. <laughs> for better and for worse. But but here, it starts here, where they, they inject them with stuff, and then they they have him drugged for, for 15 minutes or so. And... I am glad I know he's a good actor because if I was just going from this, I'm like, okay, what? Who is this guy trying to impress? It's. Uh, I wonder. I wonder how Denzel today would play these scenes if he would just go so hard on on playing the outrageousness of being high against your will, especially when he's like, you know, coming down off of it, and then he's still all paranoid and shit. He's like, I wouldn't do that. That was that's that's not me. Why would I do that? <laughs> Uh, I think the worst is before he's released, uh, when he's uh, he's already. I think he already had sex with with the clap bear, and Lithgow sits sits next to him on the table on on the on the bed, and they're just talking. And Denzel does this thing where he starts laughing. Yeah, and it's just it's it's hashtag not my Denzel. My Denzel, he he can use his craft more effectively <laughs> than whatever's happening here but it, this is definitely where the movie just takes a hard turn into fantasy land and now the laws of logic and common sense don't apply anymore so after all this Blake and Kim dump an unconscious Styles off on the steps of city hall Alice overhears Styles superiors telling him that he has tested positive for gonorrhea and she believes he's cheating on her we mentioned that already he says you know i couldn't my body wasn't working and she Hits him hard by saying, well, at least a few inches of it were. And it's like, <laughs> damn, got your ass. <laughs> All things considered, though, I I felt that she turned on him really quick. Because even before the, the STD information comes up, even when they're at the hospital, like they just recovered him. <laughs> he's still he's still in a daze. And the moment that they're alone in the room, she just looks at him and she's she goes, well, that story is pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, let him catch some sleep. And Kevin Pollock's just like, oh, God, what did he get into? But he's trying not to sell it too hard because it's what, uh, you know, his buddy's wife's there. So he's just like, oh, man, he <laughs> fucked up this time. Styles witnesses a video of Blake entering his daughter's room with a hatchet. He heads to the park where he believes uh, that he's going to attack his family. But they're there watching a circus act. And uh, he tackles this guy he believes to be Blake. Holds him at gunpoint. He figures out it's a clown. It's a clown that doesn't break character. It should be reinforced here. He's also in his boxers, a pink robe, and I think his house shoes. And he's just wielding a gun in a public park. So, yes, it makes him seem a bit unstable. <laughs> he is flipping out. Uh, the worst part, Alex, what really infuriated me is that I know that he's not all there. He's still recovering from everything that's happened. But the fact that... There's a tape in his house showing that John Lithgow is alive, which is the main point of contention. Whenever he tries to explain, to tell anybody what happened, 
they stop him. It's like, well, that guy, Blake, couldn't have kidnapped you because Blake is dead. And they won't believe him. So now he has proof in his house. He has a, a tape of John Lithgow being alive. And he doesn't grab it. He doesn't take it. With, like, I would consider that like, my most prized possession. I understand that he, he wants to save his kids from some threat that he's imagining. But I would grab the tape and then run out in my bathrobe. Didn't yeah. it drive you crazy that he left the tape there? <laughs> yes, I did. Because after he leaves the house, Kim... What's his name? Josh Evans. He goes Josh and Evans. swaps the tapes. So now it's the sex tape with the prostitute in there. <laughs> and so Denzel t- goes back and grabs the tape and takes it to the, the mayor and, and everyone else. He's like, I got the proof right here. And he puts it in and it's just Denzel getting ridden hard <laughs> <laughs> with really bad like ADR on it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that is not the girl who gave me the clap. Oh, no, all right, all right, I retract that statement. That is the girl who gave me the clap, but that's not her voice. Look, here's the thing. The ADR is definitely... Because, yeah, John Lithgow went... He followed him and his buddies to a restaurant. And so he recorded the conversation in the restaurant, uh, which is Denzel being somewhat flirtatious with the waitress. uh, Which, again, that's something that... Another double prize, because... How how would John Lithgow know? How would he know that that was the dialogue that was going to happen at that restaurant, right? But then he yeah. he puts those lines, that audio, over the tape, the video of Denzel being written by this woman. For one, it doesn't match, right? Like Denzel is not even opening his mouth in the video. But second, even if you were to just get rid of the audio, it doesn't look like he's an active participant. I mean, it actually the video supports his story. What he's been saying is they grabbed me, they drugged me, and then they. They had a woman have sex with me, and I was, like, barely conscious. Well, that's what's being shown in the video. Like, that video shouldn't condemn him. That video should help exonerate him. But everybody acts like, oh, yeah, look, he was cheating on his wife. And then, like, it's on the news, which they're like, hey, this might not be appropriate for kids. But And they, they just barely, like, put a black bar <laughs> over. He sh- It's still, like, sex. It's still sex. <laughs> Don't show that on the nightly news. And then two little black squares. (laughs) Yeah. And then Denzel makes the most compelling point that they all just brush aside. He's like, if I videotaped myself cheating on my wife with a prostitute, one, why would I have two copies of the tape? And two, why would I send it to the news to be exposed? And they're just like, no respect. You're suspended (laughs) without pay. Uh, Thankfully, luckily for him, uh, Kevin Pollock is waiting outside with all the answers he needs for the third act. With Styles determined to get his name cleared, Styles and Doyle beat information out of one of Blake's former Aryan Brotherhood allies. And this is because Pollock has been doing a little off the books investigation and found that they're going to head in for some passports with this Nazi. And uh, he found all his stuff from his prison cell and he. Pollock now knows the truth and believes them. Uh, unfortunately, Blake fatally shoots Doyle and plants Styles' fingerprints on the gun. And Kevin Pollock, with one of the great dying lines I've ever seen in a movie, tells him, he's like, you're right. Blake is alive. Otherwise, how could he kill me? And then he dies. Dude, I honestly, I watched that happen. And I was like... It got me. It got me on this train of thought of like, has Kevin Pollock ever played a dying man in his entire career? <laughs> because this is this is bad. I mean, the line is bad, but then the performance is bad. You know how everybody makes fun of um, uh, in Dark Knight Rises when Thalia Al Ghul dies. Oh yeah, this is like ten times worse. <laughs> and. And this is not even a comic book movie. This is supposed to be uh, art house cinema, apparently. Anyway, Kevin Pollock doesn't know how to die on screen. That's the point. He doesn't. Desperate, Styles contacts Odessa for help, bringing his family to the housing project Odessa uses as a drug lab on the roof. Styles, first of all, when he does bring him in, she's like, I don't know about this. And I don't remember the whole thing Ice-T says, but it's great. And he's just like, his monotonous truth-telling. He's like, if he doesn't tell the truth, I don't know who does or something. He's like... We'll, we'll protect you. And then tells his big bodyguard, like, protect these women with your life. And he just goes, bet, and then picks up the little girls. I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> so even though Styles, you know, knows that Odessa's on the wrong side of the law, this is where the movie, I think, tries to 
teach us something, Julio, to say there's there's good on both sides. There is no there's no black and white, just shades of gray. There's no necessarily right and wrong. Okay, but but they're still criminals, Alex. <laughs> Not now, because it's you know we're we're ramping up for the happy ending, brother. And uh, jumping ahead to the end, just to, you know to to make this point he makes a date to play basketball with them again at the end of the movie no it's not the last line of the movie ice t just looks at his bodyguard and looks back and goes word it's like fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so i guess you're making the argument that uh it's the enemy of my enemy is my friend and sometimes that person is also my childhood friend it's okay if they steal cars at the end. At no point does Ice T, you know, Odessa say in any way that he's going to stop breaking the law. <laughs> it's, exactly. It, and Denzel's just kind of like, you know, I've had a taste for the other side and it's not all bad. <laughs> I mean, it's not even that he's like boosting cars or whatever. Denzel has an Oscar clip where he just rips Ice T a new one about selling drugs to kids. That's still happening by the end of the movie. <laughs> Brings up his mom that, you know, begged him on her deathbed not to do that shit. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But to be fair, if the police aren't going to protect his kids, he knows people who are equally as armed. And he puts hands his kids over. and He does what he feels is right at this point. And then moves up to the rooftop of the building where he <laughs> raves to the street below. Apparently <laughs> suicidal. This draws out Blake, who wants Styles to live a long, miserable life. Styles fakes his own death by escaping an explosion in the building. He had uh, set this up, right? Uh, how long do you think it took him to just put a, that that long tube that he jumps into? Dude, he had some time to put this together. And also, I wonder how long the drive is from where the where Pollock died to his house, because once <laughs> he gets home, he has the entire idea concocted. It's like that had to at least be a 45 minute drive. Yeah, he gets in. He's like, get my gloves, the insulated ones, get my hiking boots. And then he's like, flares, road flares. Where are they? And they keep them under their sink. That's where you keep non flammables. That's where you keep fucking your fire extinguisher at home. You don't keep road flares under the sink. So maybe Denzel was mentally disturbed before the movie started. (laughs) You know, we all have our fantasies of like. Robbing a, robbing a bank or stealing a car or something like that. Denzel's fantasy. Well, I was about to say his fantasy is apparently making a giant televised spectacle of you know faking his own death, Krusty <laughs> the Clown style. So he escapes. He has Odessa's gang abduct Kim, and Odessa gets on the phone and just motherfucks uh, Blake <laughs> John Lithgow. I love this part so much because John Lithgow just becomes like a a very scared whitey all of a sudden because he's like because <laughs> he thinks he's a badass but now he's dealing with real badasses he's like i don't know you and uh <laughs> ice t just tells him you know we've got the power now and if you think you're bad i think he says if you want to know who has the power meet us at the tower mm-hmm. and then yes two ice cell t- phones ice t that's how you know he's a badass no pun intended but cold as ice he takes the <laughs> cell phone the very fucking archaic one before he flips he goes and around one, ding, <laughs> and then flips it closed. I killed his life, and he killed himself. You're lying. Lying? You stupid macho fuck! I can't believe it. I can't believe that I've been kissing your ass all these fucking years, and you're such a shithead. Uh, Odessa sends a message to Blake that Styles is alive and intends to find him, challenging him to come to the Watts Tower. Blake finds Kim tied to the scaffolding and kills him. This is where Josh Evans just. You're a bad friend. And then Blake pulls a gun out and shoots him like nine times. This doesn't make a difference in this story. On the towers, Blake and Styles fight until Odessa applies electricity to the metal tower, electrocuting Blake. Styles pulls Blake off the tower and as he falls, impales himself on a spike. Styles reunites with his family and calls out to Odessa one last time, inviting him to basketball. Television news crews broadcast a dramatic turn of events, declaring Styles innocent. Just that's all they needed. <laughs> like, I mean, he still blew up a building. We know as the audience that he's he until the blowing up the building and shit was innocent. But Pollock's dead. Josh Evans is dead. <laughs> and now Blake's dead. 
Like, who's going to confirm the story? All they needed to see that he was he was still alive. You know, it's. <laughs> I love it too because he's it's so classic. He's walking down off the stairs and then the cops and like uh firemen are running past him and Denzel gets down and sees his family and then one of the cops comes and brings like the the blanket and wraps it around him and takes him over to his <laughs> wife. But yeah, they all just I think deduced uh, what had happened really quickly. Nowadays, they would cuff him, book him. Oh yeah, I mean they should have done that then, but like if something like this happened today, you know, it would be like, well, it's because he got the vaccine. <laughs> there, there are two Blakes. There's the the one controlling the military, and then the one we see on TV. Um, <laughs> it is just funny that he's off the hook immediately. Uh, when a newscaster asks Styles for comment, he turns off the news camera, and then we go into just a bomb ass iced tea song called Ricochet. The last thing that uh. Denzel says is kiss my ass, right? He tells the news reporter to. Yeah. Yeah. Classy finish for a classy movie. I am surprised that that they didn't take his Oscar away. <laughs> like they did Millie Vanilli's Grammy. They they made him give it back. <laughs> um I will say the last line of the movie is nothing if not true to the preceding hour and forty minutes. Denzel telling us, us, not just the reporter, but telling us to kiss his ass. Hollywood, the film industry in general, the dignitaries of the game, everyone. It's like, I got my shit now. I don't need y'all. Even DeSouza was a little shocked that he was, uh, that Denzel improved that line at the end. Immediately following Ricochet, Denzel would make Malcolm X and then Much Ado About <laughs> Nothing, The Pelican Brief, and Philadelphia. So out of that five movie stretch, I mean, Ricochet, it stands out a little bit. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, another way of putting it is that it sticks out like a sore thumb, but yes. Yeah, like a sore thumb that was injured arm wrestling whilst doing heroin. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a high thumb. Just so, like moving all over. As hard as we worked to make that movie sound bad, if it sounded insane in our description of the plot, it's somehow even more insane than what we just explained in the previous hour. Anyone who's listened to an episode of our show already knows where I'm at on this movie, but I'm excited to find out <laughs> where Julio's at. So, Julio, are you ready to move this to real talk? Let's go to real talk. I'm nice, stalk a psychopath. All cops hunt the blackmail and the ski man. But I'm too damn clever. Will they ever catch me? Never. Because I operate in an outer state. Move at a quick rate and never hesitate to take a jump sucker down. My HK, it holds 80 rounds. So when you move, be careful and don't play. And watch for the ricochet. 